Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. Today, we have just an absolute slew to check in on. The latest in ETF news, a monster quarter for miners, and much, much more. Bitcoin Builders is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated to Bitcoin and Lightning. They've just started their second cohort of amazing companies, and they are out recruiting their third. Check them out at wolfnyc.com. This is Thursday, July 13th. This is Bitcoin Builders. Let's go. All right, friends, after a brief summer break, we are back in action. And we're kicking off with a catch up on the oh so much that has been happening in the wild world of Bitcoin. Now, we're going to start and spend a bunch of time today on what I believe is the single biggest driver of the psychological shift out there, which is BlackRock. I'm not going to give the full background because at this point, you are well acquainted with what's going on. A few weeks ago, BlackRock filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF, and everyone paid attention because BlackRock is not a firm that fires and misses. In fact, something like 575 of the last 576 ETFs that they've applied for have been approved. This led to much speculation that either A, they knew something that we didn't about where the SEC was headed, or B, Democrat megadonor Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, was willing to push his weight around. Whatever the case, part of what has kept this story in the news and kept the narrative shift moving is the fact that Fink has been on TV selling Bitcoin. He's made it clear that this was not some fly-by-night junior team who filed this thing, but instead a directive straight from the top. Now with that background, let's get to one update to that story from this week. Outside of it being, well, BlackRock, the biggest reason that BlackRock's spot Bitcoin ETF application is being given a solid chance of success is that for the first time, it's included something called a surveillance sharing agreement. Now, importantly, the 2021 round of spot ETF applications lacked this critical piece of market integrity protection. In fact, the SEC cited the absence of these agreements as a major reason to reject those applications. All of the institutions with active ETF applications have now added an agreement with Coinbase to share their spot market data with the stock exchanges proposing to list ETFs. In BlackRock's case, that would be the NASDAQ, with the others being proposed by the CBOE. Now on Tuesday, Coindesk's Ian Allison published further details of what this agreement would entail, citing a document entitled Coinbase and NASDAQ Information Sharing Term Sheet. And within it, there's a slight technical difference between an information sharing agreement and the more typical surveillance sharing agreement that's important to understand. A surveillance sharing agreement would require Coinbase to push reports of suspicious trading activities to regulators to regulators, the ETF provider, and the listing exchange for the ETF. The much more onerous information sharing agreement would allow regulators and ETF providers to pull data from the exchange regarding specific trades. Under this type of agreement, Coinbase would be required to give up customer information, including names and addresses. Now, to be clear, none of the ETF applications so far have listed an information sharing agreement, but the existence of this document implies that BlackRock and or NASDAQ have taken the initiative to go one step further than surveillance sharing, and in so doing, potentially handing regulators the ability to tap into market data regarding Bitcoin spot markets. An anonymous source in Allison's article explained that the information sharing request is required to be extremely targeted in a similar way to a subpoena. They said, quote, It can't just be a phishing expedition where it's all of the information attached to any trade that was made between two given points in time. The obvious concern is that crypto traders, almost by definition, don't like having information shared about them. It's sort of anathema to the ethos of crypto in general. But for the ETF to be successful, firms have to do it. Matthew Hogan, the chief investment officer at Bitwise, which has applied for a spot Bitcoin ETF numerous times, 
explain that this sort of onerous information sharing may be what's required to get the SEC comfortable enough to grant an ETF application. He said, If there's an ability to pull, then that's coming from the regulated market. An ability to push is coming from the unregulated market. So the SEC will want the ability for the regulated market to oversee the surveillance. And in terms of identifying the people at the bottom of these trades, I think that's just going to be part and parcel of these agreements. End quote. Now, these sort of arrangements, with both surveillance sharing and information sharing in place, are relatively common for brokers and exchanges in equities markets, granting the regulator the ability to request information about a particular client's trading history. Typically, a suspicious activity report will be filed, which a regulator can then elect to follow up on. Dave Weisberger, the CEO of CoinRoutes, explained, Coinbase, NASDAQ, and BlackRock are likely saying that if there is suspicious activity, and they are surveilling for it, then the regulator can request who's doing it, but they're not just going to give out personal information willy-nilly. There's going to have to be suspicious activity. That is the equivalency here. If that's true, I believe the SEC will not only approve this ETF, but will approve it and take a victory lap. And considering how unpopular this SEC is, I suspect they need to do that now. Following all this, on Tuesday, all five of the ETF applications to be traded on the CBOE updated their applications to indicate that a term sheet has been executed with Coinbase to enter into this sort of surveillance sharing agreement. BlackRock had already updated their filing to indicate terms had been agreed to on surveillance sharing from late June. So with that, we are back to waiting. The first deadline for the SEC to respond to BlackRock's application is the 2nd of September, with the final deadline after three extensions falling on the 15th of March next year. Most other applications are on a similar time frame to BlackRock with a lag of a day or two. The ARC application has a slight head start on the rest of the pack. It has already been delayed once and will come up for another decision on the 13th of August, with a final deadline on the 10th of January next year. Now let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor before we come back to hear whether people think this ETF application is actually going to go through. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the first startup accelerator dedicated to lightning. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what's possible with Bitcoin and lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage startups achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. Learn more or apply at wolfnyc.com. That's wolfnyc.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bitcoin Builders. So it turns out that it's not just the denizens of Bitcoin Twitter that think this BlackRock ETF is going through. In a research report published last Monday, asset management firm Bernstein said that the probability is, quote, fairly high that spot Bitcoin ETFs are approved in the U.S. That opinion is widely held, with Bloomberg analysts giving BlackRock a 50% chance of gaining approval. Eric Balkunas, the senior ETF analyst, said that he gives BlackRock a significant chance of success because, quote, BlackRock don't play. Now, Bernstein did note this whole surveillance sharing thing that we were just discussing. And ultimately, they were cautious in their opinion of whether the SEC would be content with this arrangement. They noted that, quote, spot exchanges, e.g. Coinbase, are not under its regulation, and thus spot prices are not reliable and prone to manipulation. Their argument for approval also leans on the inconsistency between the SEC's decision to approve futures-based ETFs while leaving spot ETFs languishing. Bernstein pointed to the Grayscale lawsuit, which is expected to receive a verdict shortly, pointing out, quote, The court did not sound convinced that the futures price is not derived from the spot price, and thus to allow a futures-based ETF and not allow spot sounds like a difficult pill to swallow for the courts. 
Former FTX US CEO Brett Harrison, who has a broad trading background across multiple markets, also suggested that the SEC is being inconsistent with its approach to other asset classes. He said, There are ETFs like the GLD Gold Trust and ETFs on spot currencies as well, which of course are affected largely by trading in international markets, most of which is unregulated activity. It is arbitrary that the spot Bitcoin ETF cannot be approved when these other spot commodity ETFs have been approved in the past. Ultimately, the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF may simply come down to a desire to move Bitcoin trading to larger and better regulated firms. Bernstein wrote, The SEC would rather bring in a regulated Bitcoin ETF led by more mainstream Wall Street participants and with surveillance from some existing regulated exchanges than having to deal with a grayscale OTC product filling the institutional gap. Now, even if it does get approved, not all big institutional investors are convinced that it's going to be some big, huge deal. A JP Morgan research report published last Thursday said that the launch of a spot Bitcoin ETF was unlikely to be the game changer for Bitcoin markets that so many people wish. Their analysts wrote, quote, Spot Bitcoin ETFs have existed for some time outside the US, in Canada and Europe, but have failed to attract large investor interest. They also pointed to the lack of continued uptake for existing US-based Bitcoin products. They wrote, Bitcoin funds overall, including futures-based and physically-backed funds, have attracted little investor interest since Q2 2021 also failing to benefit from investor outflows from gold ETFs over the past year or so. The report did recognize that spot Bitcoin ETFs have some advantages over existing futures ETFs, ensuring that investors can have exposure to Bitcoin price movements without dealing with self-custody or having their position whittled away by the basis cost of futures ETFs. They wrote spot ETFs are more likely than futures-based ETFs to reflect real-time supply and demand, and their approval in the U.S. would bring more liquidity and enhance price transparency in spot Bitcoin markets. Ultimately, JPM seems to view spot Bitcoin ETFs as likely to take away market share and liquidity from other exchange-traded Bitcoin products, essentially siphoning off the relatively modest demand for futures-based ETFs and other Bitcoin funds, rather than expanding the demand for Bitcoin products overall. So my question is, now that we've had a few weeks to settle into the idea of a BlackRock ETF, is it actually a good thing? You're starting to see a lot more discussion about exactly this. So let's go through a number of different takes. We'll kick it off with Dan Held, who puts it about as simply as you can, the BlackRock ETF is good for Bitcoin. However, the flip side opinion is summed up by Eric Hengem, who wrote, Am I the only one who thinks these ETFs are a bad thing for Bitcoin and crypto in general? It will only allow for more price manipulation and suppression. This will only benefit the BlackRock and fidelities of the world. Just look to silver and gold as examples. Another line of argument is that this is bad for decentralization. Jared Tate wrote, so BlackRock finally has the Bitcoin market cornered, and now they want to pump it. This is not good for decentralization when the largest asset manager on the planet says this. Another perspective is represented by Shay Hoddle, who laments that there wasn't more time to stack before the biggies came in. Che wrote, I don't care what BlackRock Larry Fink says. I want more time for the plebs in the low-middle-income countries to stack before these crooks come in. Good thing is, they can't control Bitcoin. Another very common line of discussion is the idea that BlackRock Bitcoin is not real Bitcoin. Bitcoin Reserve wrote, Most of us don't like BlackRock, but here's the reality. If you truly want Bitcoin to be money, then your enemies must use it too. If you only want Bitcoin to be used by people like you, then it won't be money. As Mises once stated, money is the most saleable of all goods. That being said, a BlackRock ETF of Bitcoin is not real Bitcoin. It is simply an IOU which requires trust in third parties. Bitcoin was created to eliminate third parties. Buy real Bitcoin, immediately take custody of it in your wallet, hodl. Simple as that. Laser at Broad Mode had a similar point saying, For the plebs hodling Bitcoin, the incoming demand from BlackRock is good. For the NPCs who end up buying paper from BlackRock thinking it's Bitcoin, not so much. 
the world is being divided into those with keys to Bitcoin and those without. Yet even with that argument that it's not real Bitcoin, some are pointing out that this is just another door for newbies to walk through. V4BTC says, Whatever your thoughts on BlackRock, rest assured there is nothing they can do to ruin or destroy Bitcoin, not anymore. Bitcoin is for everyone, good, bad, and ugly. The more people use it, the quicker it becomes a standard. BlackRock brings a lot of action into Bitcoin. Still, at the end of the day, the simple and inevitable truth might have best been summed up by Peter McCormick, who wrote, For better or worse, it's happening. Anyways, guys, I want to know what you think about this. Is the BlackRock ETF unreservedly good? Are there concerns you have? How much does the fact that it is that sort of IOU matter to you? How much should it matter to the people who trade it? Plug here for the Breakers community, which you can find on bit.ly slash breakdown pod. It's a great place to discuss this exact type of issue if you want to come join. Now, before we head out of here today, I want to check in quickly on mining. Bitcoin miners had a monster quarter two. They raked in $184 million in transaction fees during the second quarter, which was more than was paid by network users during the entirety of last year. Now, of course, a big driver of this was Ordinal's mania and the corresponding fee spike. Miners saw fee-related revenues increase by 270% from the previous quarter. Looking back over the quarter, fees peaked in early May, hitting a top average transaction fee above $30, which briefly rivaled transaction costs from early 2021. Since then, average fees have moderated substantially but are yet to die down below $1. Then again, while fees outperformed, they still represented only 7.7% of the total $2.4 billion earned by miners over the quarter, with the remainder, of course, coming from block rewards. The total hash rate securing the network continued to ramp up, at the time of this recording, hovering around 397 terahashes per second, which is down just slightly from the all-time high of 399 yesterday. Coinmetrics attributed the continued rise in hash rate mostly to the adoption of modern ASICs, including the Antminer S19 XP, which has done a lot to increase mining efficiency. Now, one little project that I wanted to mention along these lines comes from Luxor Technologies. Luxor is a Bitcoin mining software and services company that has announced the expansion of its Bitcoin mining derivatives product. The initial product was announced in October and offered over-the-counter trading of financial instruments based around hash price. The goal, of course, was to allow Bitcoin miners to hedge their production. Hash price is a measure of Bitcoin mining revenue earned per terahash of mining power per day. It fluctuates according to the mining difficulty level as well as the Bitcoin price, as hash price is priced in dollar terms. With the basic market now up and running, Luxor is set to expand their offering into six-month duration contracts, daily settlement rates, and dynamic margining, allowing for longer-term hedging and better liquidity. Previously, only three-month contracts were available. Along with the longer-duration contracts, they've also introduced more complex products called Bullet Monthlies, which allow hedging for a particular month in the future rather than the current period. Matt Williams, Luxor's head of derivatives, said, This innovative pricing model takes hash price contracts to the next level. He said that he hoped the daily settlement rates will make their products more attractive to traditional financial system investors looking for new derivative markets. Williams said, quote, This development underlines Luxor's vision of transforming hash rate into a viable asset class. Now, of course, the big test for Luxor's hash price derivatives and OTC trading desk will likely come at the next halving, which is expected in April of next year. With Bitcoin rewards slashed in half, miners may look to this new market to hedge their exposure to expected volatility. The reason I think this is notable is that it's not just some company offering some new product. If you look at traditional markets, particularly agriculture markets, derivatives are an absolutely key part of how those markets function. In the same way that agriculture or resource producers hedge production with a financial instrument, Bitcoin miners have to do the same. Having better, more sophisticated options for that seems to be in the benefit of those companies and thus us as well, 
And I also think that there's something significant about the hedging moving from Bitcoin price to hash price. This allows miners to more accurately hedge their production because it's based more directly on the thing they are producing, which is hash power. We have had periods in the past where hash power and Bitcoin price diverge, so theoretically this should solve that problem. So if we take a step back as we close this show, we've heard on the one hand all the discussion around this institutional excitement, which is driving energy back into the space, and on the other hand, how this key piece of infrastructure in the form of mining is thriving, developing new products, and getting ready for a big 2024. Not a bad spot to be halfway through this year, and I'm excited to see what the rest brings. I want to say thank you one more time to my sponsor in Wolf's Clothing. Like I said, Wolf has just opened up their third cohort, so go check it out, wolfnyc.com. And thanks, as always, to you guys for listening. Until next time, let's build. <laughs>